0: A note of warning, this podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing.
1: Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm Owen Michael. Today's November 21st, 2019. With us this week is Adam Casson. Uh, Writer, producer, director. Has done features and documentaries, including True Crime content. Uh, Specifically, we're going to talk about uh, one of his shows, Murder for Hire. Murder for Hire, excuse me, with Adam and the lead investigator in a wild case. You'll want to hear about the end of this episode. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, All sorts of exciting things to talk about. But first, a Maryland man living a double life in Pennsylvania is accused of killing his girlfriend in the Nevada desert. John Matthew Chapman is a 39-year-old man from uh, Oakland, Maryland. He was arrested and charged by Bethel Park Police in Pennsylvania on Friday, November 18th, in charges of kidnapping and obstruction, criminal use of a communication facility. He may face homicide charges next week in Nevada. Why? Because... Jamie Ray Fieden, who's 33 years old, she was last seen on Sunday, September 15th. A body was found in the Nevada desert about an hour north of Las Vegas on October 5th. Um, It appears to be her. She has not been officially identified. Autopsy has not uh, uh, been completed. But Fieden was disabled from birth defects that affected her growth And she reportedly had tattoos matching those that are found on the human remains that have been found. The police expect to confirm that that is actually her. Uh, Third person in this uh, triangle here is Maureen Chapman, who's John Chapman's wife. She lives in Oakland, Maryland. Uh, The couple has been married for a year. She was surprised to get a phone call from Bethel Park Police Department uh, last Friday morning. WPXI in Pittsburgh reports that uh, the wife, uh, Maureen, says John Chapman confessed to her over the phone about 6 a.m., uh, from the Bethel Park Police Department uh, confessed to killing uh, Jamie Ray Feeden. Um, he told his wife that he took her truck and drove it to Vegas for work. WPXI reports that Chapman told police he and Feeden went to Vegas in September to look for a potential house to buy. So this is a this is a guy that uh, he's been married for about a year to this Maureen Chapman. Uh, they live together in in Oakland. Um, and maryland which i have noted here uh it's a small rural town about 2,000 people about five miles west excuse me five miles from the west virginia lines very rural area um he was john chapman police say was visiting his girlfriend this uh, jamie feedon uh in bethel park which is a suburb of pittsburgh to outside the city limits there it's about 100 miles northwest of oakland so there's a long commute there um, and then they decided to take this trip to Las Vegas. This uh, kind of speaks to some of the, the the stories you probably encountered on uh, on the Oxygen series here, the Murder for Hire. As far as um, convoluted uh, relationships, shall we say?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's you know, it's it's on on that series and for the other series, there, you know, truth is always stranger than fiction. You're fine, right? In it's these true. Things. And so with this, though, I mean, like the Murder for Hire cases, the theme of You know, it seems seemingly so with this guy is like you never know who anybody really is. Indeed. And so this is a guy who seems like he was more than a double life, probably, you know, triple and quadruple. Right. For the various different people. And and how could somebody see somebody one way that seems like they're a loving husband have no idea that he is – you know
1: no idea and, and the shock of getting a six a m phone call from the police saying, yeah. uh, your husband of less than a year uh, did this the the details uh this is alleged of course the uh, details uh John Chapman told police that uh, he and uh, Feeden went to the desert they were there to potentially look for houses to buy uh it's unclear if he was you know still managing or still imagining that he was going to keep this con going. seems a little difficult. You're going to go back and forth between Vegas and, and your wife back in, and uh, Maryland. Maybe he wanted to make a break for it. It's all speculative. Obviously. Um, he told police, uh, that they were in town in Vegas Looking for a potential house to buy. They ended up going to the desert north of uh, Vegas, about an hour outside the, the city, to do a bondage fetish photo shoot. Um, so on September 25th, they allegedly went out to this location. He tied her to a signpost. She was wearing sort of bondage gear. Uh, at, he tied her to a signpost. He zip-tied her, her wrists allegedly covered her nose and her mouth with duct tape which suffocated her killing her and then uh, he essentially stripped her of all the stuff that she was wearing and etc and left her body nearby The body was found 10 days later this is out in the desert uh, you know not too long ago it's still pretty dry and hot out there then he drove back to Pennsylvania uh, somebody actually was driving by and walking their dogs 10 days later and, and found these human remains um, as again, we expect those to be uh, identified due to very uh, significant uh, identifying characteristics. Um, after all of that, please say that John Chapman allegedly posed as Jamie Reed, Jamie Ray Fieden on Facebook and uh, sending texts using her cell phone for days and days uh, interacting with friends and family. Although he did uh, apparently raise a couple of suspicions here and there uh, with odd statements that didn't sound in her voice. And he Apparently got a, a birthday wrong and some other details. So um, one of the friends apparently was trying to sort of draw him out a little bit. They suspected something was wrong, but uh, couldn't quite put the finger on it. Um, police went to uh, Fieden's townhouse uh, the day before that he was arrested. They, they were investigating the townhouse. They found inside that townhouse. Obviously, she had been reported missing. Uh, Chapman's backpack was inside there with uh, Fieden's cell phone inside the backpack. Duct tape and zip ties. Always difficult to explain those particular things, not assigning guilt one way or the other, of course. Um, and John Chapman himself was a, uh, a home security installation technician before he was arrested, which, um, you know, obviously have no thoughts one way or the other brand wise or anything else. But that sort of strikes me as a, um, an unfortunate irony. <laughs>
2: Well, I can, I can, you know, what I read about the, we we could say the brand because it 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 was uh, it was referenced in one of the news reports that he was that he was a home installation security for ADT, uh, which I found just you know particularly interesting uh probably lack for a better term you know when you have the uh i've been watching mindhunter and i've been seeing that mm-hmm, with the btk mm-hmm. killer also worked mm-hmm. for adt as an installation killer so it's it,
1: it's an unsettling detail
2: it is about right? these people that you're you're, you're the
1: strangers coming to your home to sort of uh, install these things which we're not casting aspersions on security techs no. or any companies or anything like that but
2: uh that does put a certain level of uncomfortability you'd have to think if you've been serviced by this guy you do wonder and is it is it something that he's, you know, are these people seeking out this idea that it's a way to get in your home?
1: I wonder about I that, uh, that if there's a, a psychological profile, but uh, I'm sure our, our commenters can uh, weigh in how they think about this. Sure. Incidentally, uh, John Chapman, uh, WPXI reports that he had been married for seven years to another woman before they separated and were divorced just prior to this marriage uh, to Maureen Chapman, which was less than a year. Uh, WPXI has a extended interview with this uh, with this previous um, wife and she said she didn't trust him and he was a grifter and he used to tell tales about how he was in the FBI or the CIA or worked for government and that kind of stuff. And again, a sort of security-minded uh, type of person here, but um, it's unclear what uh, it would be speculative, but why did you go all the way out there? Why did you decide? He, he apparently said to his wife, um, I had to do it, uh, just checking out some of the transcripts of this stuff, but it's not clear why he had to do it. It, it, it seems that he's trying to cover his tracks. So she, this will never get back to his wife. Who knows what, who knows what evil lies in the hearts of men.
2: Yeah. We're, you know, covering, I have this, other series that we do call criminal confessions. Um, doesn't air until December 7th. Um, On oxygen. On oxygen mm-hmm. as well. Sounds like good TV. And, uh, and we, we, we. And and the basic premise of that program is we look at successfully adjudicated cases, meaning the um, uh, investigators were able to get justice for the victims. And these Mm -hmm. are homicide cases.
1: You know, he's being charged a
2: couple of different charges in
1: back in in Pennsylvania. But the actual homicide, which allegedly took place in Nevada, would be Nevada authorities to deal with. And obviously uh, we're imagining Surveillance video and anybody they may have just sure. receipts, it stopped at a circle k or a, or a convenience store on the way up there, but it's also out in the middle of the desert so but yeah, clearly um something happened here, and we along with a with a uh, confession here, hopefully that'll expedite the case a little bit better yeah. for, for all involved here uh,
2: you know it's it's a terrible story and then it seems that the the victim just you know what saw was and that she had a tattoo mm-hmm. on her, and it was from in honor of her uncle and brother and mother right. that died. So somebody right. who's already suffered such tragedy and, and horror in their life, you know, uh, it, it's, it's
1: a vulnerable person. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's unfortunate. And of course, uh, go to crime com We'll have any updates to this case, uh, this a lot of moving parts on this, and it uh, shocks the conscience, and that's uh, that's kind of the cases that we bring. Let's get into murder for hire in the newest episode coming out this Sunday on Oxygen. Not your average grandma. Joining us now by phone is Williamstown police chief, Sean Graham, who is a Wood County sheriff's detective lieutenant at the time of the Gun Halley case investigation, which is what this episode is about. Uh, also with us is Adam Casson, who, uh, is a uh, uh, TV producer director. You're kind of a, a man of multi-talents, but you're the executive producer on this particular series. Do you want yes, to tell sir. us a little I'm, bit about that show?
2: Absolutely. So, uh, yes, murder for hire. Um, so, uh, um, this is a documentary series that we have are doing with Oxygen. It's Shed Media and Oxygen, and it's um, it's a really amazing series. I've been doing true crime documentary television for a while now, and have been fortunate enough with this program to meet um, investigators like Chief Graham um, and get to tell these amazing stories about however they were able to conduct these operations. Whereas one investigator told me, or actually more than one, this is the one assignment you get to actually save someone's life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really seems to be a combination and a culmination of a lot of skill sets that go into police work. It is their undercover work. It is their teamwork. It is their uh, study of the law. So it's a really complicated process. Operation uh, that that these guys have to go through in this case, in particular, we're talking to talking about is is amazing. But also at the heart of it, you know, you have these human beings um, who are affected, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found, um, you know, m- most amazing about these kind of cases, um, I guess, is one is how prolific they are. As you know, mm-hmm. from dealing with them is they really are all over the country, mm-hmm. um, and the kind of people that commit them, mm-hmm. you know, typically. You know, you see in, in common pop culture, these murder for hire cases are mafia hitmen or
1: right. people that law, and order, types law stuff. and
2: order, nefarious types that you don't seem to, you know, are not in your everyday life. But these people are often people that seem to have the, the most amount of advantages in life. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're writers, they're grandmas in a case like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and something happens where they seem to want to kill the person uh, that often is the most closest to them, their husband, their wife, um, their business partner, um, where they once had a very loving relationship. And it just definitely, as, as one investigator had told me, you know, makes you think that anybody is capable of anything. (laughs)
1: Right. And I, I think that's a part of the appeal and the resurgence of the genre right now of true crime is sort of like this, a is the evil next door type of stuff that, uh, it's yeah. not uh, the big glamorous stuff. It's like, could this yeah. happen to me in my own neighborhood, wherever I happen to be? Uh, mm-hmm. in this case, this is a Deatra Gunn Halley. She was 63 years old. Uh, she was arrested uh, as part of this, this, in, this particular show that you guys produced, um, part of the murder for hire series on oxygen. This fits right in, um, Let's see. Chief Graham, do you want to talk a little bit about how this thing got started? I think uh, someone tipped you guys off that this 63-year-old woman was looking, what, back in 2009, was trying to uh, – I don't want to get too far ahead of it. Uh, take it from there, if you would.
0: Sure. Uh, well, honestly, the uh, the case was just – sat right in my lap. Uh, uh, the, the person that's involved with this is a guy named Frank Robinson. Um, Frank walked in the front door of the sheriff's office. And surprisingly enough, I was his second stop that day. He had stopped at the Parkersburg Police Department initially, apparently. And and then whoever he talked to there, I'm going to bet it was not a police officer, basically told him that uh, he really didn't have anything. Um, But I had this guy walk into my office, Frank Robinson. He says, Hey, I've, I've got something you really need to hear, and uh, he starts filling me in about this alleged murder-for-hire plot. And I'm listening to it. I'm taking it very serious. And then he pulls out a recorder, and he had part of this recorded already. Wow! Um, you know, a conversation with her—not enough to, to do a lot with, but it was enough to make us realize, you know, this is legit. This is real. Um, so, initially, right off the bat. When I realized who was involved, I was already familiar with the name. Mm-hmm. Um, he, We had Deatra, Gun Halley, we had Sonny Gun, and I knew a Sonny Gun because of uh, some of our drug officers had been investigating Sonny Gun for distribution of pain pills. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Percocet. So I thought, this is well, in
1: uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia? In
0: Parkersburg, West Virginia. The gotcha. Drug Task Force um, already had her under investigation for selling, uh, like I said, I believe it was Percocet uh, but dealing pain medication. Um, so this was on September 11th of 09 that he walked in my door and, uh, Parkersburg is a city within my County at that time. So mm-hmm. if you're a County deputy and, and you have County wide jurisdiction, you can do things in the cities. Like I could go to Parkersburg or other communities like Vienna or Williamstown where I work now mm-hmm. and you're covered. So I went to my sheriff at the time said, Hey, I believe this murder for hire is legit. Um, this information. I'd like to follow up on it myself since, you know, the guy went to Parkersburg initially. And and uh, like I said, I don't know who he spoke to at the time, but he walked in our door five minutes later. What
1: do you what do you, what do you make of that? What do you make of that? A, it's great that this guy, uh, Frank, was not dissuaded and he kept going down the law um, enforcement. I would say but. he
0: probably, uh, I'm sorry, uh, not to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. I would say that he probably didn't speak to an officer, maybe mm-hmm. spoke to someone who, wasn't very good at their job or or didn't you know didn't, didn't grasp have the common sense to mm-hmm. to grasp what they were dealing with but i mean the minute he came to me you know and, and told me what he had i took it serious then he pulls out a recorder and has some of this recorded and i said oh wow you know that's yeah we'll take this what did
1: he uh, have what did he have recorded was it was a uh, sunny uh, uh,
0: conversation she, with sunny gun she had approached um, him and Yes, she had approached him. They were friends. They had known each other for, uh, I'm going to recall right now, around four years. And, uh, you know, he just said, hey, I I really she's telling me she wants to have her husband murdered. And he told me he was familiar with both of them. I was actually somewhat familiar with Frank Robinson only because he had worked for a bail bondsman and kind of did some bounty hunter things where he would go out and, you know, scoop up people that had jumped bail. Didn't know him well, but you know, knew of him just because he had brought in some bad guys a couple times for bail bondsman. So um, that was, like I said, that was on September 11th, a Friday, uh, and and we took it serious from the start. Um, We had a undercover lined up to assist us with this investigation that same day, um, where had made contact because uh, Frank, thinking on his feet, had told the suspect that. You know, mm-hmm. he couldn't do the killing, but he had an uncle from New York that could do it, um, and, and so he said, "I've got an Uncle O." This is just immediately his first time that she brings this up. He come up with this character, and uh, so we went about finding our Uncle O, uh, which ended up being a state trooper, uh, Reggie Patterson.
1: Oh, uh, short for Owen in this particular Owen, one, as correct. I as I recall, yeah. which is just uh, happens to be a circumstance here. Um, the so this is a Robert, great name, Robert, great name. Thank you, and Uncle Owen is a, is an old nickname as well. Um, Robert Butch Halley was the was the guy. He said uh, as the show. Uh, I saw a couple of clips on this ahead of time, uh, Adam. You can speak to this? Uh, he said several times, like uh, I'd heard from a couple of friends, and they said, Hey, you might want to. You know, your wife talked about this a little bit, and then he said. When he's talking to uh, law enforcement after the fact, is saying, "Yeah, they told me, and I asked her, and she said, nah, And you know that should—I so guess he's a trusting. He seems like a nice fellow. Dude, uh, just
2: I, just to jump in. I mean, you know, uh, again, you know, it's one of those things where it's so hard to believe the person that you're in love with. You mm. know, you don't wants, want to believe it. You don't want to believe it, of right? Yeah, especially uh, I think when it's that right in front of your nose. Here. Yeah, and then he, he, he didn't want to believe. He, was in it. he didn't want to believe it. it, and you had his daughter yeah. telling him. Um, so you had people that were very close to him that he trusted and still, you know, it's such an outrageous, unbelievable thing to think that the person that you're in love with, that you recently married, remember, not that long ago, right? three years, three years wants you dead. And this is a, a 63, how uh, 63, is that, is that what she was 63, 63 at the, at the time. time of
0: this, 63 at the, the time of this investigation, she was 63.
1: How large of a town are we talking about here? How
0: big is Park? Uh, Parkersburg. Um, let me think here. So this kind of uh, like
1: everybody knows each other, or am I kind of? Uh, no, thinking, Parkersburg's it's not... a
0: little bigger than that now. Okay, the town gotcha. I'm in now, Williamstown's about thirty-five hundred. Okay, um, Parkersburg's you know probably twenty times that size. So it wasn't um, quite.
1: It wasn't quite the sort of word of mouth. Everybody on the block kind of knew about it. It was you know. No, is a, Par-
0: Parkersburg's uh, the third largest city in the state of West Virginia. Gotcha. So it's not a small city, but it's still West Virginia. It's not a you know. It's not a huge. It's not a metropolitan area.
1: (laughs)
2: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I mean, chief. The one thing I found interesting, we could speak about or not, is just the idea that you have a sixty-three-year-old drug dealer. Um, She's a grandmother, and you guys are looking. Could you talk a bit about that? Like, why is is that something that's common that you see in your area? I would
0: not say. You know, I would not say that's common. I wouldn't say that. You know, I, I had several years working in a drug task force, and I had older drug dealers than that, but not on a regular basis. You know, that's not something that is a very common. Um, denominator for drug dealers being older like that. But yeah, this, uh, the only way I was familiar with her was the name Sonny Gunn. It caught a, you know, I, I recognized that name when I heard it because I heard the drug unit talk about it. Sure. Um, just that, you know, that we, uh, when we do our uh, drug task force, they do investigations and we know the people that are under investigation mm-hmm. or people they're doing drug buys from, which is one of the things they had on Sonny Gunn was prior to this investigation, they had already purchased some Percocet off of her. Um, so we look at a log that kind of, you know, certain officers will be able to have access to this log mm-hmm. to see what's going on, and, and Sonny Gunn's name was on that log. Um, so, you know, she, she was known, but, but not before that by us, not before the drug uh, information came forward. Now, because of that drug information and that we heard she was dealing, we did our own little background check Uh, Prior to any of this, and found out she had once been a significant drug dealer. Um, You know, her background, her criminal record included um, a cocaine uh, smuggling charge in the Port of Miami, and it said it was in excess of half a kilo of cocaine. So, Mm. in excess of 500 grams of coke, she was busted for in the early 2000s. Had she served time? Had she done time for that? she went to federal prison for that. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, she. So, when her name came up with the drug unit initially, they run a background check. They find, wow, she actually was significant once upon a time, mm. uh, at least smuggling a significant amount of, of cocaine. The information in Parkersburg, West Virginia, was just that she was selling pills. Nothing, mm-hmm. you know. Nothing like a half key of cocaine, like she had in the early two thousands.
1: Sure, but the opiate uh, situation across the country uh, is particularly malevolent. It, in these, you these know, it's bad people. everywhere,
0: and it's yeah. worse in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. It, it's worse here than just about anywhere, I would say, mm-hmm. honestly.
1: So the, this uh, this hitman slash law enforcement officer that you that you hooked her up with, she. Uh, I don't want to give too much away here, but she is sort of uh, caught on camera, I believe, offering $15,000 out of the future life insurance payout uh, upon success. And she gives the wedding ring for the down payment. Was it her, her wedding ring from the previous marriage? Or do you know, happen to know, was it from, was it actually Butch Halley's uh, it, it, ring itself? You
0: know, it, it, I'll tell you a funny thing about that. Well, it was from Butch Halley. He got her this ring.
1: And
0: the funny thing Ooh, about that, hurt. which I... I forgot this at the time when I when I originally did the investigation. Of course, I didn't work in Williamstown. My current mayor owns the jewelry store that ring was bought at. Oh. <laughs> so, oh.
1: did he have to um, testify?
0: Kind of no, no. Did did the mayor?
1: Right. Well, it no, sounds no, like he's wearing a couple of hats in the, in town here. No,
0: it was pretty irrelevant at the time. It was uh, it was just that when I was watching the surveillance video, uh, when this show came up and I I just laughed because they said, we bought that at Mel's diamond house or Mm -hmm. he bought that at Mel's diamond house, which Mm -hmm. my mayor owns. So pretty funny to me. I
1: I agree. uh, I agree. So, uh, she's arrested the afternoon of October 1st, 2009. You have the goods on her. Uh, essentially it takes a year. She's charged right away within a year. She pleads not, she does a plea deal, pleads guilty to solicitation to commit a felony crime of violence in order to drop the the drug charge, which, you know, I, I, this seems like a common thing with prosecutors go for the, the bigger thing sure. and arguably the more important thing. That's a year later, October 2010. Uh, the charges uh, go forward, excuse me, a month after that on December 3rd is when she takes the plea deal. Uh, she pleads guilty. Then two months after that, she's sentenced to four and a half years in prison, surfi- serves her time. She's released on parole April 2017. She discharged. And she moves to Kentucky with a new husband. Um, we haven't heard I, – I haven't seen any uh, details on that, but I did see the sort of the tail end. And uh, Butch seems to wish well the, the current husband and maybe – Well, we all wish back, him but, well. Uh, exactly. Uh,
0: but, uh, you know, I don't even know that the current husband would be aware of what's happened here. Well, he's, he's probably going to he turn into the oxygen network and, and make a discovery himself. I don't know. How, but, Adam, uh, how did you get a hold of this story?
2: You know, we have this great team of researchers um, that look at different stories uh, from all over the country, and we do a lot of different true crime television, so we have relationships with law enforcement all over the country. And this one came to us from one of our researchers, um, uh, our producer. is a great guy, Chris Aubin, uh, who was on, who interviewed the chief here, um, and found this story and started talking to everybody. And for us, you know, we first looked to see the story, if it fits of of the genre and, and, and what we're trying to tell. And then we see if they want to do it mm-hmm. and uh, if they want to tell the story. And for our show, there's no voiceover. Um, so it really does have to come from the actual people who experienced it. And it's important to us to make sure that the victim is OK with it, um, as well as the investigators um, who took us on the ride. So Chief and, and Butch and, and all the various people and the prosecutor, uh, Pat, um, were uh, excited to tell their story and, mm-hmm. and, and for us to cover it. And uh, so we went down dead.
1: Uh, was there any word from Sonny?
2: We, we – you know, our philosophy with these kind of programs is we're not um, interested in talking to the convicted um, uh, uh, felon in mm-hmm. these cases. That's not the story we're telling. Right. We're not interested in her side of it. Um, this is a case that is adjudicated that she was convicted of. Um, we're interested in telling the story of the people who got justice for the victim. Good. And when you see people like Butch, um, you know, he's a trauma victim. I mean, these people, it, it's a difference. And we cover these cases where they are actual homicide cases. Um, and you, and you, and you tell the story of how the investigators were able to get justice for the victim's family. The
1: procedural and, itself. And sure.
2: procedure itself. And, and we try to eulogize and speak well for the dead. And it's important to us. Mm -hmm. But here you have living victims, which in some ways gives us a a good feeling because we're not dealing with, uh, you're not ending the show that somebody died. But then actually looking into this person's eyes, the actual person had been affected by it. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure the chief can speak to it a lot more than I can. But from our very cheap seat view of it, um, you know, it's powerful. And it's important to us that we respect that and that we tell that in an honorable way. And so for us, our our approach with these programs is we're interested in telling their story. And we're interested in telling the investigator story, and and that's what our stories are about. Gotcha,
1: gotcha, Chief. What uh, uh, did this particular story strike you? Uh, just as, as far as the, the gall of it, or is this sort of like uh, another uh, any other week uh, in in law enforcement in West Virginia? You know.
0: I've investigated much worse cases. You know, I've, I've you know worked multiple homicides and and seen the absolute worst in people at different times in my career. But what struck me about this was one, her age, her lack of compassion. Um, the the fa- well, it, it kind of blows my mind that she only served four and a half years for this. Um, she I'm was serious. married to this guy for three years. Mm-hmm. And she says on video, "I've been thinking about doing this for two years." So after one year of marriage, for the next two years, she's plotted yeah. and had this premeditated thought of murdering this guy. And the only thing that went wrong is she screwed up and and you know told the wrong person. So that that bothers me. That you know that's just like attempted murder in my state. Attempted murder. The only difference between attempted murder and murder is you you messed it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her to do four and a half years, I was very frustrated. That's all she served. That's nothing I can do about that. There's nothing we can do about whatever a parole board decides to do or, you know, the crime itself was three to 15 years. Um, I just felt like she should have done more towards the, you know, it's a higher number there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it struck me to how cold she was. And, And one thing in particular, when she's handing over the ring in this episode, And the undercover is telling her, um, you know, I want I want, you know, down payment. She gives up her diamond ring and she goes, how am I going to explain this? And he said, well, who are you going to explain it to? He'll be dead. And she just laughs and she goes, oh, yeah. And she just, I mean, could care less about not just Butch. Butch has kids. Butch has grandkids. And this woman just, you know, strictly out of greed um, is laughing about. And she thinks that the undercover tells her, you know, Uncle O tells her, uh, when I get out of this car, the ball's rolling. We can't stop this. Mm-hmm. She's good to go. She says, I'll, I'll, I'll be very much the grieving widow. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, I, I, thought she was incredibly cold, uh, when she was talking about having Butch murdered.
1: Although she does say at, at one point, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much here and we can cut this out if it's a, uh, if it's too much revealing, but
0: yeah, I may have gave too much away right there. I don't, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't,
1: okay. don't want to ruin the reveal, but, uh. The, she does say at some point that she sort of wants him to be stunned and then the, the deal done. In other words, yeah. she wanted it to be quick and painless, essentially. I've seen other you know that was sweet I, i've seen the stories before yeah exactly i mean it's <laughs> damning with faint praise but uh, i've seen other things where they've definitely talk about uh, you know i want the guy to suffer or He breaks kneecaps or whatever they want photographic proof of stuff you know right. This ne- seems to be uh, in in what little i've seen it was a means to an end and that was that was as, as far as it went but uh, again
2: you know it's interesting in some ways that's worse
1: <laughs> right the banality you know, because- of
2: it. A lot of these other cases that we've been dealing with that involve husbands and wives, which sadly there are many, um, they do come out of anger or um, you know there's something it evolved into that right. it wasn't it didn't the 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 marriage started on the premise of love that turned and maybe there was a predisposition for some people more murderous than others. I scares me to think about because um, it seems like maybe it's a little bit in all of us when you look at these things. Sure, but nature. this is a this is a woman uh, who is a seemingly so a con artist and she seemingly Yo, absolutely. went into this marriage for her benefit, did not go into this marriage uh, seemingly so for, mm-hmm. um, for love or anything that you would hope one gets married for. And for a guy who was taking care of her. Mm-hmm. So yeah. w- with that, she was, you know, I don't know if she had intentions to kill him from, from, from the moment that she met him, but she definitely had it seem- seemingly at least intentions of, um, Keep saying seemingly because I'm afraid of like attorneys. Sure, uh, but, <laughs> but but you know she. I mean, just from from what you see and read in the story, I mean, it seems like she. The moment she meets this guy, she's looking at ways she can take advantage a dollar signs and yep. and get money from. Him.
1: What uh, yes, exactly. a, a final, a final question about uh, Frank, the guy that she talked to, asked about it. You know, this is a guy who's sort of, uh, you know, if we're talking about bounty hunters and that kind of stuff, you're kind of straddling some law enforcement uh, and criminal type, uh, that milieu. It, was he he was actually friends with Butch first? Like they had an ongoing friendship. Do I am I understand that correctly?
0: Or That's they, well, now, yeah. And he was friends with both of them at the yeah. time. He was friends um, with both think, of
1: them but that seems like an odd choice that you would go to him when this you, guy yeah. is you know instead of I don't know you know I've seen other things where people go to like you know they go to a bar they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody um you know this is pretty this is a very primary principal person in this relationship let's see it, that struck me as bad judgment but but um, you
0: know like like part of this can't Part of this came up where, uh, you know, they said that she was out the bar asking people about, you know, uh, getting insulin to put in this food. So I don't think I think she was just not that smart Mm -hmm. to be, you know, she could she could be evil and and plotting and conniving. But she wasn't that smart, Mm -hmm. uh, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because these allegations were, you know, unfortunately, like like we mentioned earlier, um, you know, Butch didn't want to see what was right in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it took the, you know, the, the, uh, arrest of her. And when we, you know, told him everything was going on to, to accept and, 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 uh, he quit being a victim then that day, October 1st of 2009, butch quit being a victim. But up until then, I mean, there were a lot of red flags. I mean, if someone's telling me she's in the bar saying this, I'm, I'm probably not just going to take her word that it didn't happen. Um, You know, but, you know, by the grace of God, it didn't happen. And and, uh, she then went to someone else. You know, we don't know how many people she went to for this, but uh, I believe it was more than a
2: couple. Chief, I guess the one thing I just I just wondered if you could help, you know, really explain to people, because it's hard to grasp this idea that you're actually intervening before the crime happens, which makes us a bit different right these kind of investigation so really Absolutely. all the evidence you have is the, is the words out of people's mouth right so right. can you just explain the challenges of what can go right and what can go wrong particularly in this case when you when you re- you need to for sure make sure that what she really is doing is intending to kill her husband and that you have unequivocal proof that that is the case and what that proof actually is and what sure. can go wrong, and then how are you able to, you know, kind of keep your cool and and still, uh, you know, persevere as you did in this case, even when some missteps happen.
0: Well, um, you know, knowing someone committed a crime and having enough evidence to, to be able to take it to a jury and, and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone's guilty—that you know—that's a big jump, and, and you've got a lot of, of uh, distance in there that you have to close. And in this case, in particular, yeah, we absolutely um, knew that this woman was soliciting to have her husband murdered, but at the same time we had to prove it. So, um, one of the huge missteps, um, we had set up the first meeting with the undercover at a hotel room in Parkersburg. Um, I was actually in the adjacent room. It's supposed to be wired up by the guys that do this. Mm. I, I, you know, I wasn't involved with the wires. Um, you know, we have people that specialize in different areas, of course, and this room gets wired up. Um, and something goes wrong. So I'm, I'm listening live and I'm not too worried about the undercover. You know, he's a big guy, he's a tough guy. And this is a 63 year old woman, not that she couldn't have a gun or something, you know, but, but I'm in the next room and I'm trying to listen. And as I'm listening, I'm not understanding anything that's going on. I think the wire's terrible, but I'm still thinking to myself, I'm sure the recording's fine. You know, maybe just my feed's not good. Wait, you know we did this on um, I believe it was September seventeenth, the first meeting, two weeks before we arrested her. Our intention was to have this meeting, get our evidence, get her soliciting the murder on on tape enough for a jury, and our intention was to end that meeting, let her drive away, and then review our evidence and arrest her. You know we thought we'd have that. Well, when we listened to the wire, mm. it it's not good enough. And I, you want to, i you said something about keeping our cool. I didn't. I was so irritated at this point. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We just did. We just wired up the room and met with a murder for hire suspect and we screwed it up. So, you know, was it the sound really, quality
1: or was it? Uh, it, was a sound, of, it
0: was interference. It was sound quality. The same issues you were having. Gotcha. It's like, you know, you can get different frequencies that cut in. Sometimes and there's been such crazy improvements in, in technology that it doesn't happen as much. Uh, but you know, it's only been 10 years, but the advancements are incredible, you know, on some of the wires we have now, as opposed to what we had then. Um, but not to, not to ruin
2: and not to ruin how you actually persevered, because then people can watch the show for that. But it was just, it was amazing how, you know, you, you had this, you know, this technical mishap, which can happen, right. And still you guys were able to pivot, re-strategize and it was, uh, you know, how to go through, um, Quite a bit of uh, refiguring out how you would actually get her back sure. and have another conversation to be able to get her to tell you what she was trying to do. One of the things that just um, impresses me about how you all worked is when you're dealing with law enforcement agencies, they, they have a sort of an arm's length, um, more than an arm's length separation between the investigative agency and the prosecutor's office. But here you all really seem to work like a team. And we really did. There was an open, um, you know, you could tell there was a just a looseness about how you all worked together. There was a flow. There didn't seem to be any uh, regimented, uh, you know, chain of command. Even though obviously there is a chain of command, but you you, you sure. all seemed to work really open door with each other uh, um, to help each other uh, make sure that you were able to successfully conclude. No, this no power plays. No, no uh, power. None at, at, at all. all you truth. know.
0: That's something that's really great. We we have an uh, investigative unit that does a lot of our, you know, the majority of our drug investigations. It's called the Parkersburg Violent Crime Narcotics Task Force. Now, that is a task force made up of all the agencies in our county, which would include the Wood County Sheriff's Office, who I worked for at the time, the West Virginia State Police, the Vienna Police, and the Parkersburg Police. I left that... The sheriff's office in 2014 to come here and then the first one of the very first things i did was i got the williamstown police department to join that same unit mm. and the reason i did that is all of these agencies that work on these crimes uh, there's so much cooperation you know i don't know what it's like in a lot of areas i've heard a lot of problems in some areas i know other areas work good together but here it really is more about the mission than it is who gets credit And the mission is like for that group is to investigate drug trafficking and violent crime So we have members from all those departments I mentioned that work together on a daily basis. So when something big happens, you know, these guys, you know, um, they just work together. Uh, They don't worry about who gets credit and and we just get the job done. So um, that helps a lot in situations like this because you need, you know, uh, a crazy amount of surveillance units or trail units or or units that are going to do the wiring, you know, whatever um it just helps a lot to have agencies that work together like that and that's not you know that's not everywhere it's absolutely not but it is here
1: no but the you're right it's not everywhere but the information and intelligence Sharing is uh, obviously just, crucial. It's, for it's any I
0: mean, it's literally life saving mm-hmm. to share intelligence, you know, many times over, um, you know, and that's just, you know, that's one of the great benefits of technology is information sharing. But you've got to have the people willing to do it as well. The department heads willing to do that in at least here and in a lot of places. I know, you know, that's it's not a problem
2: hmm. Just so I'm saying his name, Pat left Lef,
0: Yeah, good luck with That's pretty close. Pat Patrick Lefebure is the prosecutor. Uh, great guy. This is his first term as prosecutor. He's doing an outstanding job. He's been he was an assistant prosecutor for quite a while. And then he ran for the, the main job when the last prosecutor uh, ran for election as a judge and took it at the time of this case. Uh, the prosecutor was Jason Wharton. He's now a circuit court judge. But Patrick Leffebure was involved with this case
2: back then as an
0: assistant.
1: Any last elements? Any last uh, from either either of you gentlemen? Uh, any yeah, I, I guess one up? of the
2: things that I you know we've seen this in a handful of cases, but you know you always think that when somebody um, comes to you or you witness something that's wrong or a crime, you're going to do something about it. Um, And I I would hope (laughs) I would do that. Mm -hmm. I would think I would. But it's nice to see it when you actually get to see it happen. When you see a guy like Frank, he is, you know, confronted with this crazy proposition. And not only does he know well enough to know that she's serious, not only does he know well enough to go to the cops, he goes – keeps going to make sure that they know, to help them collect information – um, and really sees this whole thing through. And, and it's hard to, to realize when you talk to the person what kind of stress <laughs> and strain right. that is, you know, on them and on their life. And it just, you know, you want to give a big credit to this guy. Um, you, you hear a lot about these incidents when things happen and bystanders don't do anything or witnesses don't come forward. But here you have this, this guy who not only comes forward, he really does see this through to make sure that she's brought to This is an
1: excellent point because if he would have said, no, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Um, you know, she might've, she uh, she just just went to someone else, would have gone to somebody else. And even if he had gone directly to the cops directly after telling her no way, you know, she might have gone on the run, or, or or who knows what other things. He kept the he kept the kind of the con going so that the undercover could do the job there. So yeah, there is a there's a couple of heroes here in this. Uh, situation uh, if, there.
0: if there's one hero in this, it's Frank Robinson. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. i I'm, I'm really proud of what he did, um, Frank. You know, th- this wouldn't have happened without Frank, and um, he came to us pretty much immediately after this. First conversation happened. Well, he, he went to the other police department first and then he came to us. Even better. Um, but but Frank Robinson, um, absolutely, in my opinion, saved Butch Alley's life because I'm sure she wouldn't, you know, if she's thought about this for two years and she's been in a bar asking people about getting insulin and then she asked Frank you know, she, she wasn't going to stop. I mean, mm-hmm. she needed her financial security, and I really think that's all this was about. I don't think that it's anything to do with anything Butch ever did to her. Um, you know, th- that's probably one of the reasons she didn't want any torturing. She just wanted, you know, a men to, uh, an end to the means and, and uh, wanted a way to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, thank goodness that, that Frank, you know, is the type of person he is and came forward immediately with the information. and was smart enough and quick thinking enough you know, to come up with uncle O in the first conversation with her, I can't do this, but I've got an uncle from New York, uncle Mm -hmm. O. Um,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, that's, that's really thinking on your feet. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, I'm just, I'm really proud of the job he did.
1: What a story! Can't wait to uh, can't wait to check this out uh, for listeners and viewers. This episode, "Not Your Average Grandma," airs on Oxygen. No, she
0: is not <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Uh, the, the episode's uh, titled "Not Your Average Grandma" it airs on Oxygen on uh, November twenty fourth. Check your local listings. You don't want to miss this one. Uh, not your average grandma, part of the Murder for Hire series on the Oxygen channel, November twenty fourth. Check it out. Thanks to Adam Casson and uh, Chief Sean Graham for being uh, with us this week. Um, where can viewers and listeners find out uh, more about the show and sort of uh, about uh, what you guys are working on in particular?
2: Oxygen.com uh, go to oxygen.com. They have all sorts of stuff on the, on this program and, and other extras that we have on there, um, that are not, that you won't be able to see on the show. And then obviously on Sunday night this Sunday. Um, I believe it's seven and nine o'clock. We're again. Uh, but check your local listings as times do change. Uh, but, uh, yes, go to oxygen.com. Excellent. For Hire.
1: Well, uh, Sean, uh, chief, uh, Graham, thank you very much for for being here this week I'm sure that uh, most people uh, if they are interested in finding out more about your department they can uh, go check out uh, the uh, the Williamstown police uh, department in West Virginia although I, I imagine most people are trying to stay out of your good graces and uh, you know will be more than entertained by the show itself
0: if anyone needs would, would want to reach out to me, they could get me uh, through the Williamstown Police Department, Williamstown, West Virginia, on Instagram at Chief Sean Graham, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Chief.
1: Excellent. Uh, again, the episode, Not Your Average Grandma, airs on uh, Oxygen on November 24th. Check your local listings. That's our show for this week. Find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and on YouTube. And get updates and subscribe to our newsletter at TrueCrimeDaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, don't do crimes.